friends, Table Talk is podcasted. Check out IONO.FM or Apple Podcasts to listen, subscribe, rate, and review. We are a live, listener-engaged show. How can you join the conversation this morning? Well, you can phone into the studio. The telephone number is, write this down now, 012-334-1322. You can also drop a comment on Facebook. We're currently live streaming to the Radio Pulpit Radio Console Facebook page. Now would be a great time to like and to share. In fact, I'm going to go onto our Facebook page and like and share to Mark Penrith, Pastor Mark Penrith, as well as to the Central Baptist Church Pretoria Facebook pages. You can track us and watch us there. But if you comment underneath uh, in the comments section, uh, you will be able to pick up our engagement and interaction. We will be able to see what you say right here and we can start the dialogue. You can also send in a voice note to WhatsApp or to Telegram. The telephone number there is 082657. 2729 and if you're a twit you can tweet on at 657am we are looking forward to your bible questions and answers on the controls this morning pressing all the buttons answering all the calls is our co-labor in the ministry vussy it's great to have you with us thank you so much for serving alongside of us and this morning we are live on 657am that's radio pulpit 729am that's radio cape pulpit Facebook, Radio Pulpit, Radio Council, as well as DSTV Channel 882, Open View Channel 607, and we're currently live streaming as well to our website, that's www.radiopulpit.co.za, wherever you are tuning in, wonderful to have you with us, it is good to be spending Friday morning together with you guys. This morning, I'd like to hear from you. I'm going to give you a couple of ideas of questions that you can ask even as our first guest prepares to come on to air. The kinds of questions that I'm looking forward to engaging with in the first part of the show in terms of Bible questions and answers is related to the gift of tongues. I'm looking forward to chatting to you about the gift of tongues. Um, And in particular, I've been reading a Sam Storms article uh, relating to tongues. Does Is tongues always a language which is understood by human beings? There's a question that he asks relating to 1 Corinthians 14 uh, verse 2 there. And um, and also, uh, he's got a question relating to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 1, regarding tongues of men and of angels. What are your understandings of these things? And what is your practice regarding these things? I'm going to be preaching this coming Sunday evening on 1 Corinthians chapter 14 from verse 1 through to verse 25 at Central Baptist Church's Arcadia campus at 6 p.m. And I am looking forward to a sermon entitled Everything You Want to Know <laughs> About the Gift of Tongues. That's quite an ambitious title yeah. right there. Um, Guys, we're going to be bringing in our first guest this morning. Our first guest is Daniela Ellebeck, who is an attorney of the High Court of South Africa. And she represents an organization called 4SA, that's Freedom of Religion South Africa. If you've been listening to this podcast or this show for any length of time, you've often heard us um, uh, introduce uh, the Freedom of Religion uh, South Africa. They are a legal advocacy organization which works to protect and promote your constitutional right 
to religious freedom uh, in our country. And this morning we are going to be talking about the hate crimes bill. Daniela, um, it's great to have you on with us this morning. Thank you for joining us. Oh, no, 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 you are muted. <laughs> Rookie error. I am so sorry. I'm having so many tech issues this hey, morning. No, um, no, no judgment from me. I get it wrong all the time too. <laughs> but it's good to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure. So this morning we're going to be talking about the prevention of hate crimes and combating of hate speech bill. It's commonly known as the hate speech bill. Uh, Parliament uh, met on the bill twice last week, namely Tuesday the 31st of January and Wednesday the 1st of February. It was a busy week last week. It's been a busy week this week with Sona and all. But the question that I'd like us to uh, engage on in order to start off, uh, Danielle, is um, uh, really just a recap of what this bill is all about. So to recap, the bill proposes criminalizing hate speech, which the bill in simple language defines as any expression mark that one, incites harm, and two, promotes or propagates hatred against three, a group of people specifically listed in the book. So we see that the proposed crime of hate speech has three elements. It must incite harm, it must promote or propagate hatred, and it needs to be targeted against a group of people specifically listed in the bill. Now, for this crime, the bill is proposing up to a maximum sentence in prison of eight years. Sure. So what are 4SA's heads of argument or concerns regarding this bill? You can see you've been hanging out with some lawyers. <laughs> it's an argument, hey? Legal yeah, term no, like that. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm learning. <laughs> Our primary concern, Mark, is that the current definition of hate um, of the hate speech in the bill is overbroad because, as we've said, in simple terms, the crime has three elements. Mm. It's any expression that um, is harmful, incites harm, uh, promotes or propagates hatred, and is targeted against a group of people specifically listed in the bill. Um, or rather directed against a group of people specifically listed in the bill. It's perhaps a better way of saying it. So we see that a lot depends on how the bill defines harm, how the bill defines hatred, and which people are specifically listed in the bill. And this is where the pawpaw hits the fan. Because the current definition of harm, so the first element of the crime, includes substantial emotional, psychological, physical, social, economic detriment that objectively or and severely undermines the human dignity of the individual or group that the speech is targeted against and mm. then obviously also the, sec the um, se second element promotes propagates hatred against them now this is a mouthful <laughs> so let's break it down okay first let's look at the types of harm the type of harm that will make you guilty of this crime are vague and they include undefined terms such as emotional harm. In other words, hurt feelings mark because emotional harm is not psychological harm, which objectively would require a medical practitioner such as a psychiatrist to evaluate you and give you a diagnosis that, you know, Mark Penrith's words against Daniela caused her such, you know, severe psychological harm that she is now suffering from PTSD. Yes. You know? So, Emotional harm is feelings. So we are talking about finding someone guilty of a crime and sending them to jail for up to eight years for words that 
theoretically could have substantially hurt someone's feelings. And I mean, another very I, loose category got, got, being criminalized is social harm. And the Department of Justice um, on the at their last meeting with Parliament had not yet come up with the dish, definition for this. But essentially, the department said it needs to be understood as anything that undermines the social cohesion in South African society. So okay. very broad. So here we are talking about the first element, types of harm, mm. that are iffy, hard to define, impossible to prove, um, which brings me to another problem being um, the fact that the state doesn't have to actually prove that Mark's words actually caused Daniela any harm. They don't have to prove any direct causal link between the words you said and any harm actually suffered. So the concepts of harm being included are these very loosey-goosey, no proof required harm concepts in a criminal law which can land you in jail for up to eight years. And just one last thing on the first element. Mm. Let's look at the degree of harm. So if you're talking about eight years in prison, eight years jail sentence, that is a very long time in prison. And one would expect that the degree of harm that your speech is supposed to cause should be something like gross. Mm. Um, but all that this bill requires is substantial. So again, the entire question for the first element boils down to could your words possibly have resulted in substantial hurt feelings i i have a i have a 10 year old boy and uh, his feelings are hurt at the slightest issues around him all the time i mean uh, just the the lack of definition and clarity around the bull is kind of staggering and you can imagine how many people uh, might feel that they have just cause to bring this before courts uh, uh, it, it, it doesn't make sense but you've covered the, the, the first problem or the, the problem with the first element, the harm. But what about the other two elements, uh, promoting or propagating hatred against a group of people specifically listed in the bill? Uh, do the other two elements also suffer from problems? What's for essays take on them? Yes, Mark, so you've, you've um, correctly recapped that because the bill proposes defining hate speech as um, any expression that is harmful incites harm. And we've now said the big problems of harm, you don't need to prove it. Uh, you only have to, you know, theoretically have substantial harm. You don't need something like gross harm. And it includes vague concepts such as emotional harm, hurt feelings, and social harm, which we still don't know what it is. Mm. Um, which brings me to the second element, which is to promote and propagate hatred. Because remember, hate speech is harmful, incites harm, promotes or propagates hatred against a group of people specifically listed in the bill. Yes. So turning to the second element, hatred is undefined in the bill. Uh, no, perhaps because it's a notoriously difficult concept to define. Yes. Nevertheless, Mark, Parliament is proposing making it a crime to say, display, share anything that could potentially result, you know, theoretically in substantially hurt feelings that promotes and propagates some undefined hatred against a group of people specifically listed in the bill. Are you starting to see the problems here? Yes, yes. So, uh, I... Uh, uh, Daniela, even as you even as you're talking, uh, uh, look, we we live in a complex country, right? Um, uh, we, we live in a, a country with all kinds of issues. 
I, I can understand why government might think that they need these levers for certain political related issues that we've even faced as a country in the past. Um, but but how does this affect the freedom of religion directly because I, I can see that it does but maybe for the sake of the listeners where does this touch us as the church the most closely well Mark your freedom of religion which is enshrined in section 15 of the constitution is not only it doesn't only protect your right to believe in your heart as you want to believe so yes. not it doesn't only protect your religious freedom internally yes it also protects your right to take that faith out in public and live according to that faith, to manifest it in public. My, my right follows me to work. It, talking about it, sharing it with others, all of that, yes. right? So you can see how when you can't express your faith publicly, yes. you, you actually have no religious freedom. And, I mean, we've now spoken about things that, you know, theoretically cause substantially hurt feelings and promote some undefined concept of hatred against people specifically listed in the bill. And this brings us to the third element, which is another problematic area in, in the bill, which is the group of people. Yeah. Now, I have to say the latest version of the bill includes various lists of people, some are longer and some are shorter, for an option of how, you know, the list of people specifically listed in the bill could look. Okay. And... Some of these groups are highly controversial, such as sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression, and sex characteristics, which I want to say is all undefined in the bill. And then, of course, your, um, you know, uh, more standard things such as just gender. Now, let's look at how this would affect religious speech, because that was your question, right? Mm. Um, let's say that you post on your Facebook that a man is the head of the home and women need to submit to their husbands. Um, Great. Now, all the Bible question and, and answer uh, uh, this morning is going to be around complementarian and egalitarianism. Thank you so much, Daniela. <laughs> but yes, I... I I'll leave I, you to you. I'll I, leave you to that debate. I'll just say I'm very traditional on that one. <laughs> but I, I but can see anyway, how a pastor of a church a, might a, make a that Facebook side, post. As a yeah. side, because is obviously doctrinally neutral and yes. faith neutral and all of that. But sure. yes, good luck with that one. That's always a, a nice <laughs> hot debate. So let's see. That hot debate opens up, right? Now, is something that someone is going to say, is it theoretically going to cause substantially hurt feelings for someone? Um you know, and we don't know what promote or propagate hatred means. So, you know, that's loose in the juice as well. And it's on gender. Mm, mm, yes. But do you understand the problems with this bill? Yes. So, so Daniela. And, and I mean, to get, to get more, let's, you know, to get a bit more um, into some heated topics last year. I mean, an example I've been using in interviews is remember last year when, um, although the news broke about the. Uh, gender identity guidelines that the Department of Basic Education is working on mm. and um, there were so many articles and opinion pieces and oh, just things doing the round um, in media outlets and on social media about unisex toilets and what 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 do you remember that? I remember article? it very well yes Okay, how many of you know those social media posts, those articles those op-eds would you say on the ground of gender identity, gender expression, or sex characteristics, perhaps. Mm, probably less likely, but gender identity and gender expression, definitely. 
on the ground of that would have theoretically been likely to cause a substantial degree of hurt feelings. Um, you know, and then obviously promote and propagate hatred is loosen the juice. Yes. So, so uh, Daniela, help me out with another, like, just questions that are spring to mind when you when you're sitting with a bull like this. I mean, w- what happens? Let's just say, worst case scenario, it passes in its present form, uncontested. Although I have no doubt that we're going to explain to people how to contest it shortly, but it passes in its present form. At some stage, surely it comes before a judge, and a judge, in his right mind, is is held by the tensions that exist within the Constitution, including right to religious freedom and freedom of expression um, and, and such like. D- d- I mean, isn't it, isn't it feasible that, that a law like this actually causes more harm to the judicial process because it just kind of creates this, this massive whelm of, of cases that come before the court and the court just spends all of its time saying, well, no, this is ridiculous uh, and, and ends up throwing a law like this back to the, to the commission and saying, no, the, the, this actually can't stand or does that not happen like that? So, no, it doesn't quite happen like that because the court has to apply the law unless someone challenges the constitutionality of it. So, remember with the Equality Act, Peter, Mm, where the Concord found, and so just for listeners, the Equality Act is a civil law. So, the bill we're talking about is a criminal law where you go to jail and you get a criminal record. Peter is a civil law where the court can order you to apologize, various other creative remedies that they can use, things like that. But you don't get a criminal record. It's not a crime. Now, Papira has a hate speech provision, which the Concord, I think, Mark, I forget if it was like 2020 or 2021, I think it was 2020, um, declared unconstitutional. Yes. But that law had already been enforced since 2000. Yes. So it took 21 years for that portion of the law to be declared unconstitutional. So a court will have to apply the law like how their interpretation mechanisms they can use. But because of the separation of powers and because parliaments are elected representative if parliament decides to make a law the court has to apply it unless someone directly challenges the constitutionality of it wow so so i mean that so we would have to directly co- challenge the constitutionality of this if it became law the court isn't going to mirror mode of its own accord decide to take up something that the parties aren't pleading in front of it Okay, I mean that that really does highlight the problem, doesn't it? It, it? it absolutely highlights the problem. And maybe just to rub a little bit of salt in the wound so people really understand how much of an issue this is, let's talk a little bit about how it may be easier to go to jail than apologize, which just sounds crazy, but it's something that 4SA has highlighted before. And it sounds like this might still be the case. Is, is that true? Yes. So the effect of the bill is that it would be more difficult to be found guilty of the civil offense of hate speech under the Equality Act, like we just said, which is where you can be ordered to apologize or, um, I mean, the court, I think, ordered, I think it was Malapi Kamalo to go stay with the people that he had uh, directed his speech against. And Mm. he completely had a turnaround and eye-opening experience living with the people that he had, you know, committed the offense of hate speech against under the Equality Act. Yes. so it would be more difficult for the court to find you guilty of hate speech under the Equality Act and order you to apologize than for the court to find you guilty of a crime of hate speech and send up to eight years in jail for. And that's because that the definition of hate speech, these elements of hate speech in the um, 
in, in the hate speech bill are more widely defined than they are in Peputa. I, I mean, just crazy. No, it is. So, I mean, even if one looks at the, you know, uh, the, the argument that you sometimes hear is that, oh, but, you know, in a civil case, you just have to prove on a balance of probabilities, you know, on a balance of probabilities, um, Daniela's speech, you know, would have caused um, deep emotional, psychological harm, you know, to mark on the grounds of him being a man and what, what, um, and uh, promote or propagated hatred against him or men in general. Um, and that would be the degree that you would have to use to find me guilty of hate speech under the Equality Act and order me to apologize. But under the bill, which is a criminal law, you know, beyond reasonable doubt, theoretically, could Daniela's speech have caused some degree of, you know, substantially hurt feelings to Mark on the grounds that he's a man and, you know, this loose in the juice promoted hatred against him or men in general? Mm. I, I, so do you understand the problem is that it's the wide definitions that are that are that are making this bull that's making this bull extremely problematic especially if you consider, I mean, the point I keep coming back to is we've only had freedom of expression um, since 1994, um, since we became a democracy. Um, and we're, we're so ready to, to give it up again. And the state's so ready to legislate it away. We, I mean, what are we? We're not even 30 years into democracy yet. Mm, mm. Dan Daniela, you guys met um, with uh, Parliament or you attended meetings in Parliament uh, last week, right? Two meetings or uh, if uh, or yeah, um, please tell me that uh, there's some good news that some wonderful something wonderful came out of those engagements and interactions Well, I mean, the main concern from the committee members in the Justice Committee, which is Parliament's committee that's dealing with this bill um, surrounded the proposed criminalization of hate speech. Um, and one of the things that uh, was raised was the fact that the bill, you know, doesn't protect artists, academics, journalists, or religious people enough because of the way the, the exemptions are drafted on the bill. Because people would say, oh, but these categories of people are exempted. and But they're not. And I mean, this was pointed out by MPs because they give you a good summary of how the bill is supposedly protecting religious freedom or freedom of religious expression. It's, you know, a person in good faith shares a religious belief is not guilty of the crime of hate speech unless, you know, in simple language, what he says is hate speech. Yes. So you're not guilty of hate speech unless you're guilty of hate speech. It's basically the synopsis of the, the exemptions for journalists, it's for artists, academics, religious people. And I mean, the way I, re I say that, because remember we said the bill defines hate speech as harm to any expression, yeah. which you share, display, say, you know, whatever, um, that is harmful or incites harm, promotes or propagates hatred and um, against a group of people specifically listed in the bill. The exemption basically says, you know, if you're in good faith, share a, a religious belief, you're not guilty of the crime of hate speech, unless what you say, um, you know, constitutes um, advocacy of hatred, which our constitutional court has said is the same as promote or propagate hatred, um, 
that constitutes incitement to cause harm against a group of people specifically listed in the law. They're the same. So essentially, you're not guilty of hate speech unless you meet the criteria for the crime of hate speech. Daniela, what what happens next? Where, where can we point? I mean, yeah, what 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 happens next in this process? So, I mean, the Justice Committee at present is set to meet again on the ball on the 21st. Now, although I want to point out this date may change, and at this meeting, the members will be voting on passing the or not. So they'll be voting on which option um, for the different clauses they want. Um, I've gone through the options with you. None of them are wonderful. Um, and then they'll be voting on, okay, so this is now what the, the bill with the options that we want looks like. Do we want to accept it into law or not? And if they do which I have to say is very likely because unfortunately, in spite of various members raising problems with the bill, the majority of members on the committee from the ruling party do appear to favor it. Um, So it's very likely that they will pass it and then it will make its way to the second house of parliament, the NCOP, the National Council of Provinces, where if it's again passed by the second house, it goes to the president to be signed into law. Now, there is one bit of good news, and that is that the Second House of Parliament also likely call for public comments on the bill. Mm. Now, as always, when it comes to the meeting on the 21st of February, um, Parliament before SA will um, share the link to the YouTube live stream on our Facebook page, Freedom of Religion SA. And as soon as the bill opens up for public comment again, we will let the public know. The bill is not currently open for public comment. Okay. Um, it is currently being, being considered by Parliament, and Force A will continue to monitor the process and keep you up to date as it develops. Well, that's excellent, Daniela. And uh, maybe just to highlight to the listeners that are listening in and uh, have been tracking the conversation and who want more information on this or other issues in terms of the rolling conversation between the church and the state um, as it relates to the freedom of religion, um, point them to your website. That's www.4sa, that's F-O-R-S-A dot org dot Z-A. Um, and you've mentioned the YouTube channel, which you can find by just typing in Freedom of Religion South Africa. And you have a Facebook page, which is pretty active. And that would be Freedom of Religion South Africa as well. Thank you, Mark. Great stuff. Well, Daniela, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to talk to you. And please continue to do the work that you guys do. We really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for the encouragement and all the best for the week ahead. Every blessing. Bye. Well, friends, this morning <coughs> you are listening to Radio Pulpit. That's 657 AM with your hosts, Mark Penrith and Peter Smith. This is a Bible Q&A opportunity, which means you get to ask your Bible questions and answers. I'm going to tell you how um, right now you can, um, because we are a listener engaged show, phone in to the studio. Vusi is standing by to take your calls. The telephone number is 012-334-1322. It's always good to have a voice caller because you get to ask for clarification on questions and engage a little bit uh, with a listener. You can also drop comments on Facebook. That's the Radio Pulpit Radio Console Facebook page 
and uh, you can send in voice notes to WhatsApp and Telegram. That's 0826572729. I will drop all of that information into the comments on Facebook uh, shortly. Um, even as we begin this conversation, I have no doubt that we've got a couple of people that have sent shout outs to us this morning. Uh, that includes Penny. Penny, it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. Um, and others, I see a number of people have come in via WhatsApp. Let's uh, engage with some of those comments and interactions. Um, Sue van der Berg says, good morning, Mark and Peter. I hope everyone listening has an awesome day. Thank you so much, Sue. I intend on having an awesome day. We will see how that shakes out, <laughs> as God wills. Um, Inna says, and this is also on WhatsApp, Table Talk, um, and I think what we're going to need to do is just translate that. Peter, um, a translation on the fly, brother. Uh, the comment from Inner. Oh, translation. I'm not seeing what I need to translate. <laughs> okay, you go. Oh, oh, oh. Um, you got to speak into the mic, brother. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry, I'm just trying to read. I'm try- I can't really see. Uh, who just sang? Um, they want to understand what was read uh, before the program. Okay. I, I don't know what was read before the program. The last song which I see on my screen uh, was in all likelihood Jacques and Liesel singing Need You More. Uh, that was uh, just before 8 o'clock. And after 8, I think there was another song that was sung, um, but I'm not seeing it on my screen presently. Vusio will find it for you as soon as possible. Uh, Penny says... Morning again or found you. I can only watch until 10 again. Gosh, load shedding. How unusual. Yes. <laughs> State of emergency <laughs> and all. Uh, the song after 9 o'clock was Pitt Smith uh, singing Die Kiesa wat jy maak. Um, so that was the song just before 9 o'clock. Uh, Sue says, do we, uh, uh, do we not have to be careful not to misinterpret tongues? Thank you, Sue. That's a, that's a great uh, comment. I'm sure we will add that into our conversation regarding uh, tongues shortly. Um, Penny says, I cannot wait to hear your views, uh, what your views are on speaking in tongues. I grew up in a Pentecostal church and remember having a very long and heated debate with Pastor Brian Fulian. Uh, he's from Calvary Baptist Church here in Pretoria on the subject. Now, I'm quite embarrassed about how I argued with him with lots of emojis and smiley faces. Uh, Nick uh, says, hello, amazing how so many Baptists... Um, and then a full stop. Oh, then do not believe with capitalization in speaking in tongues, laying on of hands and even praying for the sick. It is with a very uppercase biblical. Nico, thank you so much for your engagement. Um, and then as a reply to Penny, I, I do see that. Um, and uh, I'm sure we'll engage. There is a voice message from Natasha Barnes, uh, which I'm going to play shortly. And Natasha says, God bless you all. Natasha, let's listen to what you have to say. Morning, Mark. It's Natasha from Boxburg. I am listening to you guys on the radio because I'm no longer on Facebook. I have been hacked so many times, so I am listening via radio. Thank you. Enjoy your weekend. Bye. Well, Natasha, it's great to have you with us. Um, uh, excellent that you can listen on radio, that we've got all of these mechanisms that we can engage and interact with one another on. Um, certainly grateful that we can be spending Friday together and uh, thinking of God, uh, thinking through God's Word. And uh, this morning... 
Uh, first questions that have come in uh, in terms of engagement have been related to tongues. We did obviously initiate that conversation and uh, it was related to the interpretation of tongues and Penny looking forward to hearing what our views on speaking of, of tongues and Nico's conversation that Baptists do not believe in speaking in tongues. Maybe I must let the cat out of the bag. Here comes a big reveal. I believe in speaking mm. in tongues. With a full stop. Why do I believe it? It's because it's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I believe about it might be <laughs> where we differ. So, what I believe about tongues is on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, divided as tongues of fire, and enabled men to speak in tongues, they spoke in languages that were known to men. And that is attested to by those who were listening in. There was a large crowd gathered from almost every nation under earth. I think that might be the description given to them, such as Medes and Persians and Mesopotamians and people from Crete, the island, and folk from Africa, basically folk from Mm. all over the Roman world. And the miracle, because it was a miracle, it was undisputed that it was a miracle. It couldn't have been forged. The miracle was that Galileans that were uneducated, that uh, wouldn't have known all of these various different languages, that the possibly 120 that were in the upper room praying, as they came out, they were declaring the great and glorious works of God in languages that were known to men. I believe in tongues, and I believe that the gift of tongues is languages known to men. That was the gift as it was given on the day of Pentecost at first, and that gift was repeated um, very clearly in Scripture. In Acts chapter 10 and 11, we have the conversion of Cornelius. Um, As Cornelius is saved, um, him and his household, the Spirit descends and they speak in tongues and when Peter goes to the Jerusalem council when he gives an account uh, in Acts chapter 11 of what happens he says it happened as it did at first in other words pointing back to Acts chapter 2 it was the same great and glorious miracle it was fantastic they spoke clearly in languages known to men very interesting in both Acts chapter 2 as well as in Acts chapter 10 there were Jews that witnessed uh, what was happening both in Jerusalem there was the gathered tribes from all over Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost but then again in Acts chapter 10 there were Jews that accompanied Peter that bore witness that this was indeed a miracle it was staggering these people spoke in languages known to men and it seems to me as I look at Acts chapter 14 and I think it would be useful to read Acts chapter 14 um, and then to zoom in on specific parts of Acts chapter 14 that that is Paul's own intention over and over again as he deals with the the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 14 oh, did I say Acts yes. ah, you see I even I make I make mistakes you got to listen all of us are human hold me to account <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 14 beginning at the first verse he says pursue love 
And that's related, by the way, to chapter 13. Uh, he's been speaking about love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And now he compares two spiritual gifts, one against the other, uh, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. He says especially that you may prophesy. So immediately he elevates the gift of prophecy um, over the gift of tongues. That's made apparent in verse 2 where he says, For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, and no one understands him or for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in, by, or with the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. The elevation here is of the gift of prophecy over the gift of tongues. One asks the question, why? And the answer is given in the next uh, passage. Now I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more that you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. And the emphasis here is that when we pursue gifts, when we pursue love, and as we pursue love, when we earnestly desire the gifts, we ought to desire the gifts that are used and useful for the building up of God's people. Now it's very important to note here that Paul is writing at a time where the gifts are operational. In 1 Corinthians, both the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy are clearly operational and Paul isn't making an argument that they cease he's making an argument that as we go about exercising our gifts we pursue the gifts that ultimately build people up but it's the second part of 1 Corinthians that I want to draw your attention to and that's to affirm underline restate this reality that the gift of tongues is languages known to men listen to what Paul says he says in verse 6, Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, he's going to use himself as an example. He says, Ah, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, if I come to you, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation, knowledge, prophecy, or teaching? In other words, I'm not going to benefit you if I'm speaking in a language you don't understand. I need to bring to you revelation, knowledge, prophecy, or teaching, else there's no benefit to you. He gives a second example. He says, even lifeless instruments, such as the flute and the harp, don't give distinct notes. How will anyone know what is played? For if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? The, the idea here, my sister played the flute. Um, I stand corrected. I think she got her licentiate, that would be like grade nine, uh, in flute. So she was a flautist. Um, <laughs> and she would, uh, she would play. You kind of blow into the flute at a specific angle and it makes a sound. And what Paul is saying is if you gave the flute to my, I've already spoken about him today, 10-year-old son, and he blew into the flute, it would just make a noise. It wouldn't be of benefit or useful to anyone around him. But when a flautist takes a flute, they make distinct notes. That's how you get to a song. His second example is saying, uh, we understand that instruments make distinct notes, and that's how we know what is being played. He gives the example, a, a third example, maybe, maybe a, a second part of that example of lifeless instruments. He says, a bugle on a battleground. Do you know how the last stand goes? 
Mm. How does the last stand go? No, I can't. Well, I I'm not going to try the melody. I think it goes something <laughs> like... Dun, 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 dun. No, maybe... Bum, 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 bum. I, I don't know. It actually, look, I'm, I'm not a military man from the 1800s when the last stand was, yeah. was you're not, played. You're not that old. But, but, <laughs> but basically, we understand that on a battlefield, if you want your forces to advance, you would play... Um, on the on the bugle on the military bugle uh, certain notes and then the troops would advance and if you wanted them to retreat <laughs> there was a debacle and uh, there was a rout and you wanted to get your guys out of the action you would play a different tune and they would know like dun, 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 you know get out of there as quickly as possible um, uh, we, we understand that if the bugle doesn't make distinct sounds, people on the battlefield aren't going to know what to do. That's his second point, that, that, that this needs to make sense. This needs to convey meaning. He has his third point, and he uses the Corinthians themselves. He says, so with yourselves, with your own tongue, you utter speech that is not intelligible. How will anyone know what is said? In other words, you can't speak in a language which isn't understood because no one's going to understand it they are doubtless here comes his uh, uh, oh, oh uh, you'll be speaking into the air in other words you basically you're saying something <laughs> you're making sounds but the sounds are just going into the air they don't make sense to anyone his fourth example is there are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning I mean, we can mm. talk for, for days about languages. There are dialects till the cows come home. Japanese, Taiwanese, um, Swahili, uh, German. Um, I yeah. was, I was going to name a country that actually doesn't have a language. But the, the bottom line is there, there are hundreds and thousands of languages. Paul's point here is every single language has meaning. Um, but if I do not know what the meaning of the language is, I'm going to be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is going to be a foreigner to me in verse 11. In other mm. words, when tongues are utilized within the context of the corporate gathering of God's people, they need to be understood. Um, and they would be understood if they were languages known to men. In fact, they wouldn't just be understood. It would be miraculous if the person hadn't learnt the language but was now speaking in bio with the Spirit, declaring in language that he had never learnt the great and glorious works of God. His fifth example is with yourselves. Since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. In other words, Whatever you do, when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, make sure that the gifts are utilized for the edification of God's people. Certainly, languages um, are known to men. They can be understood. And if they can't be understood, you need an interpreter present so that you can interpret the language. Paul's point in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I think, aligns very neatly with Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10 and 11, that these are languages known to men that convey meaning to the hearers uh, in presence and is absolutely miraculous. I did see that there was a... Um, uh, an objection and it was related to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 we read of this this tongues of men and of angels and the objection is hang on wait a minute we have a smoking gun an example of a language which is not a human language but an angelic language is it possible that Paul, yeah, is giving us a get-out-of-jail-free card and we can speak in a language which isn't understood by anyone. Well, 
I would point you to the whole of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and the build up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in order to understand what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But but basically he's addressing the usage, the appropriate and right usage of spiritual gifts within the context of the local church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 he ends off after he has described that that these need to be used for edification we're members of one body each one of us being gifted in a unique way and we need to operate as a body together and then he lists a number of gifts both miraculous and some uh, we would say are mundane non-miraculous gifts Um, and he asks the questions does everyone speak in tongues does everyone possess the gift of healing does everyone do miracles are all prophets are all apostles I I listed those in reverse order and then he says this at the end of verse 12 and I will show you still a more excellent way and that excellent way is literally a more hyperbolic way (laughs) he's going to speak in hyperbola what's hyperbola hyperbola is when you when you stretch a a Mm -hmm. metaphor to its extreme in order to prove a point Uh, Listen to the hyperbola that he gives in chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in tongues, now that's a genuine gift of the Holy Spirit that certainly was evidenced and was operating in the Corinthian church. People were speaking in human languages known to men. It was a glorious miracle uh, that was startling and amazing and pointed people to a miracle working God. And he says, and yes, the hyperbole and of angels. He's, he's, he's stretching it to an extreme that doesn't even exist. But do not have love. I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Verse 2. If I have prophetic powers. Now, again, he's speaking Mm -hmm. to something which is operational within the context of the Corinthian church. But now he's going to speak in hyperbole. He's going to stretch it to its extremes and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains. Now, I know something of church history and uh, I know something of the Corinthian church turns out there are no recorded moving of mountains within the context of the Corinthian (laughs) church because he's speaking in hyperbolic language he says but do not have love I am nothing he has his third example and again it's hyperbola if I give away all I have and I have no doubt that there are Christians in every age who do exactly that and if I deliver here comes the hyperbola my body to be burned in other words I willfully without anyone even asking me to do it go and have my body burnt <laughs> for whatever reason it's hyperbola it, it, it wouldn't even make sense it's one thing to be persecuted it's another just to give your body over for burning and um, for the sake of burning but do not have love I gain nothing the bottom line is um, that uh, language of angels that's spoken about in chapter 13 verse 1 is very clearly hyperbolic um, it is clearly hyperbolic in the context of the other two examples which are listed directly after it and it is said to be hyperbolic in chapter 12 verse um, uh, chapter 12 in terms of the last verse uh, in chapter 12 I think that's verse 34 there's about 31 so with all of that in mind uh, we've been working through a, a couple of questions that Sam Storms asks now Sam Storms is a continuist in fact he's a very well-known continuist he speaks very clearly I heard him speak on a on a topic of heavy-handed pastoring um, a while back and he spoke not just with ex, uh, with excellence, but he spoke um, in a way which was um, which 
which was just just really well informed well biblically informed and i certainly appreciated what he had to say i would I would count him as a brother. I've read a couple of articles that he's that he's written, um, and I, I I haven't got any indication that we differ on on much other than this particular secondary issue uh, of speaking in tongues. And on this, he asks a couple of questions. So he points us to um, one Corinthians chapter fourteen verse two, and he says, Paul asserts that whoever speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. But if tongues are always human languages, Paul is mistaken. For speaking to men is precisely what a human language does. And I would say, um, whilst I understand that as a possible interpretation of chapter f- uh, of chapter 14, verse 2, I don't think it's the most probable <laughs> interpretation of chapter 14, verse 2. In chapter 14, verse 2, as we read previously, Paul is comparing tongues to prophecy and demonstrating that if you pursue a specific gift, pursue prophecy because it edifies all. And he's making the point that a person who speaks by himself and is speaking just to God isn't edifying anyone. Let's think of a corporate worship service. Now this happens all the time on any given Sunday or on any given weekday service all over South Africa. So I would imagine that many of the listeners, even this morning, uh, would have been exposed to it in in some way form or another or seen something like this on a youtube clip or or whatever it might be um but a number of people in a worship service start speaking in a tongue now besides the fact that the tongues that they're speaking aren't languages known to men um they're, they're speaking in 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 a language which just cannot be understood the apostle paul in that case and in this verse would be saying hang on that is not the best use of a spiritual gift. In actual fact, use gifts that edify all um, mm. within the co- corporate worship service. And he's going to go to that from verse 6 to verse 12. That would be an illegitimate or inappropriate use of a gift because it's not edifying anyone. Now, we might go then and say, okay, but what about if I'm just at home and I'm by myself and I'm praying? And I would say that from verse 13 through to verse 19 actually covers very substantially that scenario. It's as if Paul is anticipating the objections and anticipating what people would say in terms of validating um, what they are doing. But he's writing to a church that isn't very unlike all the churches that we see all over our country where we see gifts operating in ways which are illegitimate or inappropriate not according to mark (laughs) but according to the apostle paul as laid down in 1 corinthians chapter 14 maybe another question because it's directly related that sam asks um, his fifth question if tongues speech is always a human language how could paul say that no one understands in 1 corinthians chapter Two, uh, if tongues are human languages, many could potentially understand as they did on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter uh, 2 verse 8 to 11. Would this be especially true in Corinth, a multilingual cosmopolitan port city that was frequented by people of numerous dialects? You know, Sam, it is as if Paul anticipates your question um, because he goes on even in the chapter that you are referencing to say that 
don't do this unless someone interprets. Unless, if a person is speaking in a language such as German and no one in the room understands German, what would be the point of that for edification? Unless, according to verse 5, somebody is interpreting the German so that everyone is built up. The, the bottom line is Paul seems himself to be saying that this is a lam- language that can be understood by at least one person in the room that can interpret or alternatively has the gift of interpreting. In other words, they're able to interpret a language they've never learned, but they can do so accurately so that others in the room can hear and understand. It is a remarkable gift. It is a, a an undisputed gift that Paul once displayed within the context of corporate worship in the Corinthian church. Uh, maybe a, a last, uh, a, a two last questions uh, that Sam asks. Uh, question six, he says, Moreover, if tongue speech is always a human language, then the gift of interpretation uh, would be for one with uh, which no special work or enablement or manifestation of the Spirit would be required. Anyone who is multilingual, such as Paul, could interpret tongue speech simply by virtue of education. Now, Paul, it is rightfully said, would have been able to speak in many languages. He was educated at the University of Tarshish. He certainly would have known Hebrew. Um, he certainly was very familiar with Greek, um, uh, the the common language of the day. Um, he would have been able to handle Aramaic. Um, and besides that, Paul would have been educated in a number of languages. Uh, it would have been something that he could that he could uh, speak with ease. In fact, he seems to imply that as we go through to. Um, verses 17 uh, or verses 18 I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you Um, Paul certainly could speak in a number of languages and it might be in verse 18 that Paul is saying listen yeah I can speak in in languages in in languages which have been spiritually inferred to me more than all of you that that I have this gift in abundance I I have it even more so than you do Um, and and so uh, I, I wouldn't dispute the fact that Paul could certainly speak in a number of languages but Paul couldn't speak in all languages and let's just for instance say that Paul came to a new tribe and didn't know this tribe's language um, or new people group. Uh, he was traveling through the Aegean Sea or as he was traveling through Macedonia, uh, modern day Europe, or even through Asia Minor uh, on the other side of the Aegean Sea. Um, uh, let's just say he came to a people and he didn't understand that language. The Holy Spirit, by the power of God, could have inferred that language on the on the Apostle Paul, in which case he might have spoken in the language of those people. In that case, they certainly wouldn't have needed an interpreter present. But there are many scenarios within the context of the early church where you would have needed an interpreter present. Um, it seems that most of the churches that were being established by the time you get to Acts chapter 17, and certainly as we read in Paul's uh, letters as he writes to the church in Thessalonica, Berea, uh, as he talks of Berea, um, as he writes to the church in Corinth, um, as he arrives at Athens, uh, the churches that were that were established under his ministry would have been cosmopolitan churches. If someone within the context of that church spoke in a language that wasn't known by everyone within that community, you would have wanted to have an interpreter present so that everyone might be edified and built up by what the speaker was saying. Now that interpreter 
may be a person who understood that language in its entirety. That person may be a person who, as a gift of the Spirit, um, was given a supernatural ability to interpret accurately whatever that person was saying, even though they didn't understand that language. But that would have been the miracle. Anything less than that is not a spiritual gift. It's There's no wonder. There's no miracle involved. Uh, there's no edification, uh, consolation, or commendation which is being passed on that you can get super excited about. I do appreciate both the conversation, mm. but also um, the fact that it's a biblical conversation that both Sam is having and listeners are asking um, and engaging with um, this morning. The last question that we'll deal with today is um, the seventh question that Sam Storms uh, raises, and then after that we'll go to a music break. Um, but Sam uh, references 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that we've already read this morning, and he says, Paul referred to tongues of men and angels while he may have been using hyperbola. Well, no, he definitely was using hyperbola because he literally said he was using hyperbola in the verse before. He just as likely may have been referring to heavenly or angelic dialects um, for which the Holy Spirit gives utterance. Um, Gordon Fee cited evidence in certain ancient Jewish sources that the angels were believed to have had their own heavenly language or dialects and that by means of the Spirit one could speak them. In particular, we take note of the Testament of Job uh, where Job's three daughters put on heavenly sashes um, uh, given to them as inheritance from their father by which they are transformed and enabled to praise God with hymns in angelic languages. That's chapters 48 to 50 and some have questioned this account however pointing out that this section of the testimony may have been the work of a later Christian author. Yet as um, Christopher Forbes points out what the testament does provide is clear evidence that the concept of angelic languages as a mode of praise to God was an acceptable one within certain circles um, as such it is our nearest parallel to Glossolalia and um, I mean just uh, not going to the testimony of Job um, uh, this week uh, maybe we can leave that for next week um, but going specifically to the citation of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 1 um, and the reference to the tongues of men and of angels um, it certainly is a possible interpretation but it has to ignore two things, three things. It has to ignore the fact that this is called hyperbola at the end of chapter 12. Number two, it has to ignore that it reads like hyperbola in Acts chapter 13 verse 1. You've got the tongues of men and then the hyperbolic, the tongues of angels. And number three, it has to ignore the next two verses which give clear hyperbola um, both the miraculous moving of mountains and then second people giving over their bodies to be burned and um, one has to discount all of that in order to come to the interpretation that this is referring to a language that every single other tongue-speaking person that doesn't speak in a human language and that would be without exception to my knowledge every tongue speaking person that we are exposed to today um, it would have to rest all of that theology on what is at the outer limits of possibility but certainly the probability is that that is not speaking of a specific language I appreciate Sam 
uh, storms. I appreciate mm. that he is trying uh, to make biblical arguments. I would say that on the balance of it, um, I prefer uh, the argument that would come to what I would call pragmatic cessationism. Um, I believe God can do whatever God wants to do. If God wants to give someone the ability to speak in a human language as a miracle, God the Holy Spirit certainly has the power to do that. I believe in a miracle working God and I believe in miracles even today. And I'm 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 not just open to that. I I believe that I've experienced miracles even within the context of my own life. I certainly believe that God can give someone the ability to speak in a language known to men. But what I see today um, displayed as the gift of tongues, I don't think conforms to what we see. I, I, I don't believe conforms to what we see either in Acts chapter two, Acts chapter ten, Acts chapter. Let's go with. 18 mm-hmm. um, uh, 19 as well as 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 I don't believe it conforms to what we see in scripture friends I'm, I'm looking at the time I can't believe that more than an hour has gone by it's 10 past 10 at the moment we, we need to go to a song break we're going to be listening to Brandon Heath sing behold our God we will continue our conversation when we come back after the break well, listeners, it is good to be back with you for the second hour of the show. I love Fridays. I love engaging with you. I love talking to you. I love the Bible. I love going through God's Word together with you. I do trust that God is glorified even as we talk, even as we engage, even as we look at various different things. Um, in the last hour of the show, we took a squiz at the gift of tongues. Certainly did enjoy both the comments and the interactions. Thank you very much for those of you who engaged in various different ways. I do see that James Carlson has a voice note. Um, uh, Vusi is just going to check that for me before we play it. Um, but maybe just to say, if you would like to ask a question or an answer, you can phone into the studio. It is 012-334-1322. You can drop a comment on Facebook. Um, that's the Radio Pulpit Radio Console Facebook page you can send in a voice note uh, on whatsapp to 0826572729 and you can tweet on at 657 am we are listening in for your engagement couple of interactions um as we were talking nico i do see that uh, thanks very informative really appreciated your engagements and interactions bridget says the gift of tongues truly is a gift not used in the display of silly sounds but a, perf- a purposeful tool for reaching people in fact um, Bridget your comment is, 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 is excellent particularly the, the last portion a purposeful tool for reaching people the Apostle Paul goes into that discussion in quite a lot of detail toward the end of verse 20 to 25 and I'd encourage listeners to go and read that we can talk about that at an, another stage uh, if you would like that there's a couple of requests for prayer that I see here and requests for reading plans um, uh, let me. I, I, I'm going to play James's uh, voice note shortly, but uh, I want to just read. Uh, Rhino says, "Morning. Is this conversation available as a recording or podcast?" Rhino, it is. If you go to your favorite podcast provider, 
for me, it's Apple Podcasts. What do you use, Peter? Well, now, this is a big test. Yeah. Are you an Android or an Apple man? And here's the divide, because we've been talking about matters of second import uh, during the first <laughs> hour of the show, but we just m- moved to matters of first importance. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to start my own denomination then, Mark, because I'm, <laughs> I'm on the Android side, but uh, primarily because I can't afford <laughs> no one can iPhone. No one can afford. I, I, I use stuff that I've been, that's been borrowed or given. There's this, there's this joke. It says, how do you know when someone has an iPhone or an Apple? Tell me. They tell you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, that's really bad. That's really bad. Okay, I use Apple Podcasts to find Table Talk with Mark. Okay, currently it's Table Talk with Mark. We need to get that changed to Table Talk with Mark and Peter because Peter is the better looking part of this partnership. <laughs> he speaks with more clarity, <laughs> engages with more excellence. So we'll get him um, as, as soon as possible. Um, but Rhino, you can go to Apple Podcasts. You can go to Android, I guess, on yes, Spotify. Google, Google Podcasts. Uh, Google Podcasts. Yes. Um, and then you can also go to IONO.FM uh, and the Radio Pulpit channel is there and Table Talk with Mark is there. Now, Peter's been doing some amazing work, Rhino. Um, what he's been doing is he's actually been consolidating, or rather than just broadcasting the entire show uh, in its entirety, he goes and he clips it down to specific questions, which means means that you don't have to listen to two hours if you actually just want a five-minute conversation on the substitutionary atonement of Christ. He will release during the course of this week a conversation topic on the gift of tongues, and it will have just this conversation. What we're going to do is we're going to listen to James, and then we'll go to Roxanne's question. James comes in at uh, uh, from a WhatsApp voice note. Uh, good day, Mark. Look, there's an important point which I would like to make. I think we need to discern here with regards to 1 Corinthians 14 and also what happened in, in on the day of the Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. I agree with you that in Acts chapter 2 everybody understood the languages because there was different nations and God gave that miracle regarding the tongues of the nations that was present. But with regards to 1 Corinthians 14, I want to draw your attention attention specifically to verse 2, verse 4, and verse 15. It says, He that speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but he speaks to God. Nobody understands what he's saying, but through the Spirit he speaks mysteries. He that speaks in a tongue, he edifies himself, but he that prophesies, he edifies the church. How then does it stand? I shall uh, pray in the Spirit, with the Spirit, but I shall also pray with the mind. And I shall sing in the Spirit, but I shall also sing with the mind. And with regards to the tongues of 1 Corinthians 14, we must understand it's given to the individual Christian for the sake of the edifying of yourself. And when you use a tongue in the church, there must be somebody that can interpret it. It's all a spiritual matter. And uh, I think you need to just uh, just uh, have a look at that as well. Thank you, Mark. God bless. I enjoy your program. Uh, peace and grace to you. Bye. James, you made that 
uh, statement with such excellence. Uh, you spoke so well. I really do appreciate it. Um, it came as both a statement and then as a question. We need to look at that. And I, I do want to look at that because uh, there's a couple of things that I think the Apostle Paul is saying from verse 13 to verse 19. But before I launch into that and just rearticulate your question uh, as I've understood it, I, I want to make two points. Number one, friends that are listening in that disagree with me, let me make it very clear that this is a secondary issue in terms of the Christian faith. What do I mean by that? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is going to shift gears and he's going to talk about the gospel. He's going to talk about the death and the resurrection of Christ and implications of that resurrection for the rest of the chapter. And before he does that, he says, I give this to you as a matter of first importance. This is something which is non-negotiable. The gospel is that Jesus died, Jesus rose from the grave, all men everywhere must repent for the forgiveness of sins. That is it. It is that simple. That is a priority doctrine. What we've been speaking about um, this morning up until now, I would say is a secondary doctrine. There are believers, brothers in Christ who get to differ on this topic. And how we differ, I think, is quite important. We want to give we want to be charitable to one to one another. We also do want to express um, the best view of one another. So when um, a person like Sam Storms opens up questions and he's asking questions from the Bible and he's addressing them as biblical questions, we want to affirm that they, that that we are engaging on Scripture with our Bibles open and we are interacting as brothers, as equals on this. And when you send in a voice note like that, James, uh, just to commend you, I think you speak with um, with excellence and I think that you have articulated your position well if i had to shorten your question down as i've understood it and i i'm 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 really not trying i'm trying to give you all the charity i possibly can it would be this tongues can be given as a personal language and you mentioned 1 corinthians chapter 14 in particular or 15 in particular because paul speaks about there uh, of praying in the spirit and it's clearly in the context of speaking in tongues so what i'd like us to do is uh, I mean, this were, we weren't going to extend this conversation, but but maybe if I can just deal with those five verses, mm. just briefly. I want to read the verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 13. It says, therefore, so based on everything that we've been talking about for the last hour, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfaithful. What am I to do? Paul says, I will pray with my mind, or with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, Paul, in this section, is talking about prayer. And he's talking about, about both private prayer and corporate prayer. He starts off with private prayer and he talks about the use of tongues within the context of private prayer and then he moves over to corporate prayer and he speaks about the use of tongues within the context of corporate prayer. This is what he says about private prayer from verse 13 and onward. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Now, this is in the context of everything that he said up to, up to date, that 
tongues need to be understood if it's going to be for the edification of the church. In verse 13, he's saying, even if you're speaking in a tongue, pray that you can interpret why. Because in verse 14, if I pray, if I pray by myself and I'm praying in a tongue, maybe the, the, the language that I have is, I don't know, Korean. And I'm praying in Korean. My spirit prays. I'm praying in Korean. God's given me that tongue, but my mind is unfruitful if I don't understand what I'm saying, even as an individual. And so Paul says, even individuals, if you pray in a tongue, pray that you can interpret in a tongue. Why? Because if you can't interpret what you're saying, well, you're not even benefiting yourself. You're not even building yourself up. Paul then goes on in verse 15 to make it absolutely clear that that is the interpretation. He says, what am I to do? He asks the question. And his answer is, I will pray with my spirit, that's in the tongue, and I will pray with my mind also, that's with understanding. So in other words, if I'm going to pray in a, in a, in a language um, that I don't understand, I need to pray that God will also give me the understanding that I might rightly interpret what I'm praying, both spiritual gifts, so that I can pray not just with my spirit, but with my mind. And then evidently, um, Paul could sing. <laughs> and so not only could he pray in tongues, but he could sing in tongues. Now, I don't know how that worked out, um, uh, but, but he says, I will sing praise with my spirit, and it's in the corporate, uh, it's in the context of, uh, of speaking in tongues. So I'm assuming that, this, that these songs are tongue singing. I will praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. In other words, I will understand what I sing. The bottom line is when it comes to private tongue usage, Paul says the rules aren't any different. You need to understand what you are saying, else you are speaking into the air. He then goes and addresses again the corporate prayer meeting. Now, now th there's one objection, ah, but I only use tongues for private use um, in my prayer closet. Surely then I can just pray in tongues. Paul would say, no, you need to understand what you're saying. But the other usage, I mean, we see all over the country, and that would be uh, the corporate use of tongues. When the church comes together and maybe everyone prays in a tongue, what does Paul say about that? Otherwise, if you give thanks, if, if you glorify God um, with your spirit, how can anyone be in the position of an outsider say amen? Uh, this is a, the idea of a person who doesn't understand the language that you're praying in. How can he say amen, amen? Truly, truly, verily, verily, I agree with what you have said to your thanksgiving. When he doesn't know what you are saying in verse 16. Verse 17, for you may well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. They're not being edified. Um, and then he goes on and closes the instruction out by basically saying he'd rather speak five words with his mind, five words that he understands. Jesus Christ died for sinners, repent. He'd rather say that than 10,000 words in a tongue um, in a corporate uh, setting because he says with the intention of instructing others, of building them up, of edifying them, of strengthening them. Guys, my intention isn't to rock your world. Um, but it is to read through the scripture and I think on this matter at least the scripture is actually plain to understand I think your question was excellently framed James thank you for asking it I wasn't going to go on to verse 13 to 19 but it but it's kind of like you almost anticipated the objection or the consideration and, and I think that that was just 
excellently done. So thank you for giving us the opportunity. Roxanne says, um, asks the question, well, I'm looking at the time and I, I just realized that we, we actually have a, a very good friend of mine, Jonathan Holt, who's going to come and speak about a local church. Um, uh, but maybe just very briefly, Roxanne says, uh, where two or more are gathered from the time that we accept the Holy Spirit, are we then always two? Now, uh, Roxanne, as I'm reading the question, I, I guess there's a bit of ambiguity. You might be saying, are we always two because it's me and the Holy Spirit? Well, that is actually true. The Holy Spirit is given as a seal and a deposit for the day of redemption. And uh, um, and so uh, in reality, uh, you are two. That's correct to say. Um, zoom. Um, that's correct to say. Um, but that that phrase when two or three are gathered uh, that's a quote from jesus christ in the book of matthew and in the book of matthew in reality um that's definitely speaking of the ecclesia the church the word is actually used there um and so it's talking of a gathering of uh, of believers now the holy spirit will be there because where believers are the holy spirit is in their midst um, but in that context it's definitely talking about um about a collection of saints anything that you want to yeah, add there? just quickly it's it's definitely i think one of the the passages of scripture that is uh, most often misunderstood yes. um, so i completely understand why this 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 question where the question comes from because that that phrase where two or more are gathered it's written within the context of church discipline or church restoration. You can pick your favorite term. I'll go you, with restoration yes, now uh, that you've said it. It I sounds way better. Yeah, yeah, it sounds less scary. And it's about where in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 up until verse 20, where Jesus speaks about where your, when your brother has sinned against you. What is the process? You know, and then he, he walks through that process. If we had time, I think we could do that. Maybe we could do that next time. But then it ultimately ends up with if your brother continues in an unrepentant state, if he refuses to repent of his sins, after going through the process, he must be put outside of the church, proving that he's not a Christian. And then Jesus says the confirmation of that is that where two or two or three are gathered in my name there I am among you meaning that we can have certainty as a church if someone remains in a state of unrepentance and they are put outside of the church as evidence of the fact that they've never had saving faith we can be sure that Christ is in our midst with that decision uh, Peter, thanks so much for bringing clarity there. And Roxanne, uh, thank you so much uh, for the engagement. Really appreciates it. Really appreciate it. Uh, each week for the last while, um, we've taken the opportunity to engage and interact with local churches. Um, I'm fascinated by how local churches are doing. We hear so many reports, particularly coming out of the States, of, of almost a rout amongst local churches as as churches fail to rebound on the other side of covid as churches continue to decline almost in free fall um as churches uh, shift from um kind of conservatism uh, to progressivism <laughs> and liberalism uh, we, we're seeing so many shifts abroad and i'm very interested to hear the state of the church within the context of South Africa and so to that end um, uh, what a blessing to be joined by a number of friends over the last number of weeks we've listened to folk from Bloemfontein we've listened to folk from Kempton Park and today we get to listen to a pastor and engage with a pastor uh, from Pretoria so Jonathan uh, it really is good to have you with us this morning 
Mark, yeah, it's uh, great to be with you and your listeners, and I'm looking forward to this interview. Good morning, Jonathan. So would you mind just starting by introducing us to your local church? What's your name? Where are you located? And how does a Sunday morning look like? Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm the pastor of uh, Bethany Baptist Church. We're situated in uh, Littleton, uh, Centurion. Um, uh, I don't know if you want me to say a little bit about my family, but let me just mention that I'm married to a beautiful wife, Adele, and I have uh, three lovely children, uh, Joshua, Carissa, and Andrew. And I've been pastoring the church at, um, at Bethany since 2005. Interesting about the church is that it was started around about 1970, and my late father uh, actually was involved as a student in going out to Bethany. At, at the time, it was called, um, I think it was called Littleton Baptist Church, but he he was involved in preaching there um, for, uh, for, for a little while. So um, there's been some good pastors there over the years, and there's been a blessing and a privilege to be able to uh, pastor this church uh, for the almost last 18 years. You know, as far as the church is concerned, the makeup of the church, um, we're a multicultural church. So we have believers from different backgrounds. We have uh, Afrikaans-speaking folk. We have English folk. Uh, we have uh, different African languages as, as well. We have a deacon who's a Nigerian, and we have a pastor in training who's from Zimbabwe. So we just see the, the beauty of Christ's church reflected in, in Bethany. And, and we're grateful for um, uh, for bringing these people together to worship the Lord. Um, as far as the worship is concerned, uh, we we do want to be a Bible-centered church, so we want to worship uh, in a way that pleases God. We want our worship to be in reverence and awe, in spirit and truth. We want to come and worship the Lord with gladness of heart and joy, and we want to hear God speak through His Word. So we to emphasize the expositional preaching of God's word. And, um, you know, it's just a great blessing to to come together in Littleton and to be able to worship God together. I don't know if that uh, answers the question. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, that's Thank you so much. What I can say. Any, any uh, midweek activities or gatherings of, of church, your church in your area? Yeah, we, we, we run, um, we have, uh, we've just started now, um, the Christianity Explored course, which is a, an evangelistic course for folk who are interested in the gospel, uh, and 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 others who other Christians who just want to uh, learn how to better present the gospel, and so that is now being run on a Tuesdays. We have uh, home group fellowship meetings that run on a Wednesday, um, and those are our, more our midweek meetings. Uh, of course, we have the normal meetings like. Uh, youth ministry on Fridays and the young adults on Saturdays and Sunday school on Sunday. So we, we're quite a busy church. We're not, we're not um, uh, a huge church. There's just over a hundred or so folk who come to worship on a Sunday. But for, for the, the size of our church, we, we really are quite a busy church, an active church. So, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And, and you mentioned that you do expositional preaching. And I think, would it be safe to assume that you preach through the Bible in a systematic order, verse by verse, chapter by chapter? I, I do that, but I do also intersperse it with shorter series. So, 
uh, you know, for example, last year uh, I, I, I preached through uh, to Peter in the morning, and um, that was a very important uh, letter for us to work through, especially if you, as you think about the, the the proliferation of false teaching in our days. And um, it, it, it was important just to instill in God's people the need, first of all, for them to grow in God's grace, to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God, to be kind of like a strong tree that has its roots deeply down in God's Word so that when the, the storms of life come, they can stand firm. And then also to be able to help them to identify, uh, you know, what a false teacher would mm. look like, who would be obviously uh, self-centered. And Peter talks about the false teacher being greedy and um, focused on sensual things. So we want our people to be wise and discerning. So I, we worked through that, and uh, I found that a blessing. And but but I've also touched on series. So I've done a, a series last year. On, on grace, and we looked at grace that saves, grace that sanctifies, grace that serves, grace that supplies, grace that is sufficient. Um, in the evening service, uh, we've been working through the life of David. Now, let me just say something about the evening service. It's really sad that many churches do away with the evening service. You don't get a big attendance typically on Sunday evenings, but and I believe Sundays are the Lord's Day that we need to honor. And coming together on a Sunday evening is a fantastic way just to end the Lord's Day together and to worship God, to utilize the whole day to, to bring God glory and honor. So that's been great, working through the life of David. It's a narrative, and you, you try and put yourself in the shoes of, of the characters. And, of course, you, 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 we, we want to emphasize Christ and What's wonderful to see even in the life of David is that God has promised that through David, he would have a descendant who would hmm. be sitting on David's throne forever, pointing forward to Christ. And we see God's faithfulness to David despite his, um, his, his shortcomings and his sins, that God keeps his promise and preserves David's uh, reign and dynasty because of the coming Redeemer. And so that's been a great series to work through. Um, so this year um, I've started off in the morning just with a couple of uh, uh, one-off sermons. Uh, I've preached on how to face temptation. So you think about uh, 1 Corinthians um, uh, 10, uh, two sermons on that and that, that fantastic promise in verse 13 where it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And the purpose of that series was just to remind people that, yes, we're going into 2023. People always hope for a better year, a more successful year. But to remind the people, listen, this year is going to be no different to the last year. We're going to face those trials and temptations, but we need to remember that God is faithful and he will give us the grace and so we need to persevere. So yeah, those are some of the subjects that we've been looking at uh, as we try to minister to God's people and, and feed the sheep and, and strengthen the flock. This is really helpful. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Jonathan, even as I'm listening to you, I'm, I, I'm thinking of uh, the, the news this morning, the president and his State of the Nation address. I, I'm wondering, because you've been in 
in Pretoria for longer than either Peter or myself have been in Pretoria, you really know the lay of the land. I'd love to hear you give a, a state of the church address or state of the city address. Um, how, how is God at work in our city and in your church in particular, or Christ's church at <laughs> Bethany Baptist uh, yeah. in particular? Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, yeah, look, we, we, I think when we think of our country, we think of the world and we think of all the troubles and the challenges and the, the wickedness and the evil and the collapsing moral standards. One of the things that we must really guard against is a pessimistic um, attitude to life. Uh, we as Christians are called to be witnesses to the gospel. We have hope and we mm. need to get the gospel out. And, and the gospel is powerful and God is at work. Uh, it, it's wonderful to think of uh, a number of, of Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches across our land. And I'm sure that as you interview other pastors, you get to realize, wow, God is at work in so many different ways. Yes, People are being saved. And, and one that I want to highlight this morning is our Bible Way prison ministry. Now, that is a ministry that uh, is kind of overseen by the Baptist Union Women's Department. Yes. But it is really a fantastic ministry. It's good, solid uh, uh, Bible teaching material, and it's aimed at reaching prisoners in, uh, in the prisoners in various prisons across our land. And um, and we we have this ministry from the church, and I and I think um, I speak under correction, but I think we had about two hundred or so prisoners we're reaching with that with that course material, and it um, it deals with a wide range of issues like who is Jesus. It, uh, on the Gospel of Mark, the Ten Rules of Life, um, such as the Ten Commandments, uh, on family and marriage and 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 relationships and so on. But but just to 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 mention, we have had uh, testimonies coming back from prisoners. Quite clearly, you can see that they have actually been converted through this. Um, through praise this, praise this, the Lord! Uh, yeah, I, I just want I want to read um, a couple of. Well, a couple of testimonies here. Yes. Uh, this one by a prisoner by the name of Daniel. He said, This course opened my eyes that the Son of Man is alive, and we ought to trust and believe in him. I loved this verse. It is written that you may come to believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, so that in believing you may have life. Amen. That's from Daniel. Another prisoner by the name of Tseliso. He said, I'm very happy with this course. I enjoy it very much. It has changed my life. It looks like I'm not in prison. <laughs> so he, he is speaking of a, a spiritual freedom he gained through this. He has one more for you. I want to read this. This is also very touching. This prisoner wrote, From this course I learned that being in Christ, I'm not condemned for my sins. Mm. Christ is carrying my sins. Truly, I'm not condemned. Mm. I will glorify Jesus Christ all my days. Mm. I also trust that I will live beyond death. Christ is preparing a place for us in heaven. Praise the Lord. Amen. So when I, I mean, <laughs> you know, I've got a few tears in my eyes at the moment, but oh, when I read man. Uh, testimonies like this, I go, wow, you know, God uh, is at work. It's, it's so even exciting. Even in the dark places of our land. It's so exciting just to hear um, how the church makes a tangible difference. I, I, I'm, I'm, 
quite a fay with the Bible way material. I, I've read through it, and uh, we utilized some of it at uh, uh, Crystal Park, the church that I was at uh, previously. And uh, yeah, just to encourage you in this work, brother, it's an important work, and praise the Lord for fruit. Yeah, Amen. Uh, there's another uh, ministry mark that um, that yeah, and, and unfortunately due to COVID, um, it's sort of ground to a halt. But I really do f- want to see this ministry off the ground again that has been run from our church, and that's uh, the crisis care counselling ministry. Yes, we're really trying to reach um, women who've fallen pregnant um, and and are thinking about aborting. Mm. Their, their babies and, 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 and abortion is an absolute scourge across this world and mm. you know unfortunately there's not enough being said to 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 protect the life of the unborn yes um, but through this ministry we want to try to reach um, these women and and you know provide them with an alternative to abortion and also speak to them about the beauty of life and and God's creative work but also, you know, even point them to Christ, who is, uh, who is the one who forgives us for our sins and who heals our broken hearts, and they can can find restoration in Him. Ah. So, yeah, that's a ministry we want to really see get off the ground again. Um, uh, and so, yeah, we 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 much in prayer for that. But it has served its purpose in the past, and we want to certainly work on getting that off the ground. I mean, really exciting stuff. A great report. Uh, it's so lovely to hear of God's people going about God's work to God's praise and glory. Um, Jonathan, I I have a very high regard for you. I've I've heard you preach a number of times. Um, I have no doubt that the church has been strengthened and enabled under your ministry, um, even as you serve God as you go about doing all of those things. Uh, I I I am. I am wondering, like uh, folk that are listening in today, maybe there's a person in Centurion that hasn't been attending church and is looking for a church. Maybe there's somebody uh, who is listening to you and thinking, wow, this, this might be a, a fit. I've been, I've been looking for this church. How, how would you encourage them to, to come and visit even this uh, Sunday coming? Um, we, yeah, I would, I would certainly encourage them to come. We'd, we'd welcome you. Um, we are, are, are grateful to see visitors come, and and we want them to feel at home. Um, they would would need to know that coming to Bethany, um, they can expect to 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 sit under the ministry of God's word um, that we want to faithfully uh, expound and explain. But through that, we believe God will speak to them, and um, provided they have humble and uh, hearts and submissive hearts. Uh, we really believe that that work will, will bless them, uh, that word of God will bless them uh, abundantly. But also, that, uh, we trust that they would feel at home in Bethany because um, we are, as I said earlier on, we, we we are a multicultural church, and we we it's wonderful to think of. You know, we live in a very fractured society, and yes. you know, there's there's racial tension and prejudice and so forth. But when you come to the church, you need to see that there is love and unity from people from different backgrounds and. And, and and languages and so on and and that's what we would like to think that we are we provide that uh, family of believers that come from different um, backgrounds and uh, different uh, age groups and um, um, but but all in, in in love with Christ you know Christ is the center if I can say that 
Yes. And um, we want to be rooted and grounded in Christ. This, so, yeah, the, this that's week, what I would say. This week's Sunday sermon title? Well, I'm going to I'm going to take the plunge and I'm going to uh, preach in the morning on on um, Proverbs one verse one to seven. I'm going to ah, dig into yes. Proverbs, Proverbs yes. a bit. Uh, look wow. at the theme of wisdom. So the the sermon will be on where is wisdom found. Um, Very cool. Uh, that that will be from the opening uh, part of Proverbs. So yeah, I need prayer for that because I've I've not uh, preached through this book before. But I'm looking forward to it, and it's going to touch on a number of different themes as we move along. So I'm excited to preach on this. Amen. It's exciting to hear of a church preaching through the book of Proverbs. I, th- I think it's uh, it's one it's one of those books that is slightly underpreached uh, in our day and age. But so much wisdom and so much value, uh, and so much contemporary application. So, yeah, do trust yeah. that the Lord is glorified in and through your service on Sunday, and in and through the preaching of His Word. Yeah, great. Thanks, Samuel. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We appreciated talking to you and uh, trust that the Lord continues to bless you in the work um, at Bethany Baptist. Uh, Thanks, Mark. It's been great to chat to you guys. The Lord bless you. Every blessing. Bye. Well, friends, we are coming close to the end of this morning's show. Um, We've got 10 minutes to go. There is one more voice note. There are a number of WhatsApps and Facebooks. um, Some... Uh, commending parts of the show, others asking for clarification. I really want to give thanks uh, to you. Uh, Barbara Scott asked an excellent question, which I'm certainly going to give some attention to. Uh, Tinker, I just see your your comments and your engagement. Jean, uh, Jean just commented regarding the evening service as we spoke to Jonathan. Uh, and Santi, uh, just to all of you, thank you so much for the engagement. I'm going to play a voice note from Rano right now. Good day, Pastor Mark. I was just thinking now, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be able to speak in tongues. If you can't speak in tongues, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. Is that correct? And the other thing is that I want to know is that people on TV shows, uh, gospel shows, that speaks is that speaking in the Holy Spirit? Is that speaking in tongues? Or is that man speaking? Hey Rhino, so that last that last question, I don't want to shy away from anything that you asked, but but I think the most important question that you asked was related uh, to salvation. So is speaking in tongues the sign of salvation? And if you do not speak in tongues, um, should you doubt your salvation? I, I want to deal with that as a matter of first importance, because I really truly believe it is actually a matter of priority. It's a matter of first importance. Even as um, Paul, straight after this discussion on worship, straight after this discussion on tongues, is going to go to the gospel. Uh, I want to articulate again to the listeners what the gospel is. The gospel is that Jesus died and Jesus rose from the grave. It is that simple. It's a message. And the response that's required to that message is articulated by Christ himself in Luke 24 and then repeated by the apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2 and then again and again through the book of Acts including in the words of Paul for example on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. The response that is required by those 
who hear that message is that they believe. They put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. They repent from their sins and believe upon his name. Anything less than that is not the gospel and anything less than that is not a right response to the gospel. But we also don't want to add to the gospel. And I fear, uh, even in the question, there's an addition to the gospel. It is repentance and speaking in tongues or evidenced by speaking in tongues. Now the Apostle Paul deals with this decisively in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 he asks a series of rhetorical questions. I'd like you to hear them starting at verse 27. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. He's been saying, listen here, the body is made up of many gifts. All the gifts are diverse. They're given by the Holy Spirit. Um, and each one of those gifts gets added to the body. Uh, he might be talking about the universal body, but it certainly has um, manifest um, reality in a local church. So a body is made up of many people with many different gifts. He then says in verse 28, And God has appointed in the church first apostles. I have no doubt yet that he's speaking of the 12 apostles which were appointed at first. It's a, a very specific language that he's using. I don't think he's talking about a general gift of apostleship, but, but speaking of the priority of the 12 apostles by which um, much of our scripture is given and who attested to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Second prophets, third teachers, then miracles. Then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. So he, he's saying that God himself appoints in the church the gift of tongues. Then he asks a series of rhetorical questions. The first one is this, are all apostles? Question mark. And the answer, evidently, as you read through the New Testament, is no. Not everyone is apostles. Even if you believe that the gift of apostleship that he's speaking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, isn't just the 12 apostles, that it includes others that have an apostolic ministry, you still come to the conclusion that not everyone has that apostolic, that messenger ministry. And so when he asks the rhetorical question, are all apostles, the answer is, is no. He then says, are all prophets? The question is, does everyone prophesy? And the answer is, evidently, as you read through scripture, there are those that are designated as, as prophets, there are those that are called prophets, but not everyone has the gift of prophecy. And so the answer is no. He then says, are all teachers? Now there's a sense that many of us exercise um, a duty and a responsibility to teach heads of homes, teach their children, teach their spouses, um, those who are heads of churches, teach the church, Bible study leaders might teach. But the question is, are all teachers? Well, no, that's self-evident. Um, the young child in a Christian community has not been given the responsibility to teach. It's self-evidently a rhetorical question with an answer of no. He then says, do all work miracles? Friends, miracles elicit awe and wonder in the life of the beholder and they are signs which point to God. They are miraculous interventions of God in this normal state of affairs where he pierces his sovereign finger through ordinary means and does something extraordinary and the question is do all work miracles? The answer is self-evidently no. Do all possess gifts of healing? Again, the self-evident answer to the rhetorical question is no and the last uh, the last two that he asks relates to tongues do all speak in tongues the answer 
because every other answer to the questions were no. The answer that he's expecting here is no. Do all interpret? The answer is no. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now he's going to explain what the higher gifts are. They're the gifts that edify. He does that in chapter um, 14. Um, and he says, and I will show you still a more excellent way, that hyperbolic way. And just so that you know, that more excellent way isn't a discussion on spiritual miraculous gifts. It's a discussion on love. He wants us to love. Everything that we do in terms of exercising spiritual gifts needs to be done in a heart of love, motivated by divine agape love. But the question is, do you have to speak in tongues in order to evidence that you are saved? The Apostle Paul, not Mark Penrith, would self-evidently, in a rhetorical question, answer no. I would imagine that all who are right thinking and come to this passage would agree. Um, and that is a matter of first importance because it has to do with the gospel and it has to do with how we are saved and assurance of salvation. I, I, I would I would put that high up on the list of things that we need to get right, else we are, we are wrong. We've only got three minutes left and I am concerned that I'm not going to do justice to the second part of your question and that was a reference to tele-evangelists that we see uh, speaking in tongues. You did a great job of demonstrating what they sound like <laughs> and putting together consonants and vowels and um, I, I think that there are a wide range of motivations as to why people would do that and there are also a wide range of realities that are at play as people do that. I do not believe that that is the gift of tongues in operation for reasons that I've given in the first half of this show. Um, that the gift of tongues as it was given in the book of Acts chapter 2 was languages known to men and that is what Paul is impressing to the Corinthians that languages are understood and tongues needs to be understood if it's to have any beneficial value and so I would say that what they are doing are not tongues um, but but the motivations uh, are quite wide and I don't think I have time to get into every motivation or every cause because I'm already getting the it is time from um, the technical supervisor sitting behind the desk, Vissi, um, who is laughing at me because I'm getting myself boxed into a corner. Rana, I do thank you for the question. I hope that the answer was comprehensive enough to satisfy you. If not, please restate it and ask it next week. In fact, everyone that has engaged with us for the last two hours, love this show love engaging with you and would like to encourage you to keep those questions rolling even next week as we gather together as we outro um let me um uh, remind you that you've been listening to table talk with me your host together with peter we're going to be going to news very shortly and so until next week friday do walk wisely do live holy and do testify zealously god bless <music>